Hello and welcome to our final discussion in our series on from Pesach to Tisha B'Av, from redemption to consolation, where we built on the idea that the briskers actually liked a lot, that uh, the Midrash that says the, he's beyond Mirarim, Hirvani La'anab, notice that the night of the year that Pesach happens is always, always through the same night as Tisha B'Av and links the two. And so we've been working our way from lessons of the redemption of the original Yitziat Mitzrayim through to lessons of the Churban and trying to figure out what we can do to most effectively find our way to the fullest redemption. We live in a time, thank God, when we've seen signs of what certainly looked like redemption and remarkable things that Jews of previous centuries would have been uh, uh, astounded by in terms of Shivat Zion, Jews returning to Zion, in terms of Jews being able in control more of their destiny in Eretz Israel. But we're not fully there yet. We still have many challenges. We don't have all the brachot that uh, we've been promised and hoped for. So let's try to think about what we can do to, as our final step, what we can do to hasten the redemption. So the first question is whether we need to do anything, maybe, to have redemption. So there's a Gemara, a very interesting Gemara in Sanhedrin, Sadi Zion of Bet 97b. So my Rav, Rav says, Kalu Kolakitzin, all of the um, all of the signs of redemption, all the ideas that they had about when redemption would come have been finished, meaning we've blown through them. We should have had redemption before now by virtue of the ways that uh, that uh, the, the, the promises went or that the signs that people had for it, but we don't have them. It all depends on repentance and good deeds. So Rav is saying that we won't get the redemption until we repent fully and properly. We'll come back to that in a couple of minutes. Shmuel Omeyar, Shmuel says, He says, you know, there's an end. means There's a limit to mourning. So he seems to say that it'll happen at some point, no matter what. So Kitanai, the Gemara points out that this, this, this difference in perspective between Rav and Shmuel is in fact the difference in perspective we see back in the times of the Mishnah as well. Rabbi Eliezer Omer, Eliezer says, the redemption depends upon tshuva, upon repentance. So Amal of Yeshua, Yeshua says to him, if they don't do tshuva, they're not going to get a gula, but he can't be true, he says. Ella, HaKadosh Baruch Hu ma'amid melech shekzerotav kashot kema. Now notice, Shmuel had said, Shmuel had said, there's just a time limit to it. Rabbi Yoshua doesn't quite say that. He says, you may be right that we need tshuva, but Hashem is not going to leave it to us forever. Rather, Hashem will make a king whose decrees are as harsh as those of Haman. Now, I don't know if we'll have time for it today, but we might want to think about what the harshness is of the Haman's decrees. It could just be, the simplest read would be that Haman decreed death on all the Jews, and that roused them to tshuva, to repentance. And then the Jews will repent and that'll happen. We have another version of the bright. That's one version of the bright. Another version of the bright is, the Rebbe says, they have to do tshuva, and he quotes a pasuk, a verse. Return to me, wayward children, and then I'll heal you. Rabbi Yeshua says, and another pasuk. Then Rabbi Yeshua says, but they have another puzzle. And they go back and forth on Pesukim for a while. 
And then he ends with, Rabbi Yeshua ends with, that says it's going to be time, a time. It's hard to know what Daniel means in those verses, but it says that Hashem will bring the redemption. Veshatak Rabbi Eliezer. Rabbi Eliezer, as it were, conceded. So that's one debate. Is it true, or to what extent is it true, that in order to be redeemed, the Jewish people need tshuva? And is there a time limit? Are we guaranteed that tshuva will come, perhaps? That's one way to read Rabbi Yeshua. Or is it just Rabbi Yeshua says, no, that Hashem has promised there will come a time when it'll just be the time, regardless of who we are. It's hard to know, uh, you know, that's not a settled issue. We'll, we'll move on a little bit more and then talk, come back to that. And then it's also worth, let me put the thought out there that I'll probably come back to again. It's also worth thinking about, are there different kinds of redemptions? Could it be true? That I once heard from Ramosha Lichtenstein many, many years ago. I think it was a very, very interesting idea. The idea that perhaps different versions of the redemption in Nevi'im, in books of the prophets, reflect actual different versions of the redemption, depending on what we are. And it could be that, you know, if by a certain time we'll get the redemption, there's somewhere else where they talk about Itach, Ichana, that if the Jews do, if the Jews repent early, they get it quicker. And if not, they'll get it at the right time. But it could be that if it comes in its right, only in its right time, that we don't do anything for it. And if it only comes, if Hashem has to send us a melech, a king, whose xerot or his harsh hamans, that that would be a lower level of redemption. It could be that within redemptions, there's also better and worse. Could be, I'm not sure. In any case, back in the Gemara. Um, so Rabbi Ava says, you know what? You'll know that the redemption is coming. And uh, Rashi says, Kishititain that when the land of Israel gives its produce, and we are fortunate to live in a time when Jews have again discovered, rediscovered agriculture in Eretz Israel, and agriculture was a significant portion of the economy, not a huge portion, I'm living in a Shemitah year, and that's a whole question about whether we could really forego it, but the land of Israel is giving its fruit again. He says that's the beginnings of the cake. And, and, and he quotes a verse, so that you're going to have your fruit thing and that's going to be the time when we're going to be coming. So that could be a good sign for us. But again, it depends on do we need to have full tshuva or not tshuva? What does that look like? So when the Ramam comes to these issues, the Ramam says in the seventh chapter of Hilchot Tshuva, the Ramam says, Kola nevi'im kulan sivu ala tshuva ve'en Yisrael nigalin ela b'tshuva says all of the prophets spoke about repentance and the Jews will only be redeemed through repentance. That sounds like it would be Rabbi Diazar. But then he adds, And he says, but the Torah, and when he says Torah here, he clearly doesn't mean only the Torah. He means Nevi'im and Ketuvim as well, which is not our topic today. But another topic to think about is that the, the Ramam clearly treats, and the Gemara elsewhere treats it, in many places treats it that way as well, that while there are different levels of divine inspiration for each of the sections of Tanakh, they all together make a whole and are to be treated that way. So he says the Torah, meaning Tanakh, has already promised that the Jews will, I'm sorry, he's only quoting from the Torah here, so I, that ignore that uh, digression. I think it's a true digression, but not here. So the Torah has already promised the Jews will eventually do tshuva at the end of their galut, because it says, that when all these bad things happen to you, Hashem is warned about, that we'll return to Hashem, and Hashem will return to us. 
Now, the Ramam doesn't link that to the first version of Rabbi Yehoshua, but if you look at the Gemaras, it seems to be, that's what the Ramam is talking about. It seems to be that the Ramam is saying that the Jews will eventually do Shiva. We know that, and that Hashem will cause us to do Shiva. He doesn't quite say that. It could be the Ramam thinks that it'll just happen, it's that the Torah has, has promised us that the way the course of history will work is that over the time of Galut, the Jews will eventually do Shiva. Could be. Or it could be that he's here codifying the version of Rabbi Yoshua that we read, that Hashem will send a, a, a king as whose decrees are as evil as Hamlet's. So one of the things I would think about, I have thought about, and I think about a lot, is if we think that Rabbi Yoshua is the way that it's going to happen, that, you know, God God willing, we would have been, we would have done Shiva on our own, but if we don't do Shiva on our own at the time for redemption comes, Hashem will send an evil king. So then it feels to me like World War II with Hitler, Yemach Shimova Zichro, is either the beginning of the redemption, and there's an argument to be made for that. You could say, well, soon after the Holocaust, we got the state of Israel, and, and we've been making, we hope, progress with fits and starts, and I'm not saying it's all been perfect since then. That's one way to look at it. If you look at it that way, and I'm not saying it's incorrect, if you look at it that way, then Hitler was the king whose Xerot was as evil, as, as, as difficult, as harsh as Haman's, but then it would mean that the tshuva that was created isn't the usual model of tshuva that we think about. Right? Because while there was some tshuva that was created by this, right? there are some people, and certainly there was tshuva in the sense of people moving to Israel. So if you think of moving to Israel as being, so there's like a Mark Kutubot that says that anybody who lives outside of Israel is as if they have no God. If you live in Israel, it's as if they do have a God. So maybe you'd have to argue that even the people who think of themselves as Kilonim and think of themselves as having dropped everything, but they move to Israel and they'd be a part of the state of Israel and the land of Israel, that maybe that's all part of this tshuva. That would be a remarkable way of looking at this idea. The other possibility is that it's not true and that we didn't have the kind of tshuva we needed for Mashiach to come right away. Meaning the, the first version would see Mashiach as sort of an unfolding process, and maybe at the end of that process, we'll get the one figure of Mashiach. And if you don't see it that way, it feels like the only other option you have been left with is that Hashem sent a king named Hitler, and that king wasn't enough to produce the tshuva, the repentance, that would produce the uh, return to, you know, the, the return of the Mashiach and, and the redemption, all those things. So I feel like the first way is more optimistic, and the second way is very daunting, because God forbid, we should ever have to undergo a, a king like that and decrees like that again. So we can hope for the first, but we should keep our eye out for the second. And maybe if we can preempt it by doing Shuvah in the right ways, that'll be even better. But the first version raises this question that I'm interested in here as well. What do we mean by Shuvah? And what's the kind of Shuvah that we need for the purposes of getting that redemption? Even according, according to Eliezer, according to Yeshua, right, all of that. So let's turn for briefly to a Gemara and Yevamot where um, the, the Gemara Yevamot is talking about a completely different question. It's talking about when a person converts to Judaism. Um, no, I'm sorry. There's a machloket, a debate between Rav Huna and Rav Asi, right? Uh, I'm sorry, between Rav Huna, no, between Rav Huna and somebody else about whether, if God forbid, some of these children pass away in their lifetime, has that man fulfilled the obligation of Piria Verivia, of, of, um, of procreation? 
there's an obligation of men to procreate. He has to have a boy and a girl. So let's say he had the boy and the girl, and then sadly for him, they passed away without children. Has he fulfilled his mitzvah? So the Gemara eventually says that Rav Kuna thinks he has, and suggests that the reason is that Rav Asi says, that Mashiach won't come until, now the goof is like this storage place where they keep souls. And so the idea is that until all the souls are, are brought out and born, you won't get Ben David. That seems to say the redemption has less to do with our tshuva and more to do with a certain timing of history uh, running its course. It's not generally our opinion and our perspective of it, but that's another idea. That would mean that would mean that tshuva is sort of out of our control. But I found the response in, in Shut Vayoshev Hayam. So this is a, uh, a this is an Acheron. I think he might uh, I think he might still be alive. This is Rabbi Yaakov Moshe Hillel. Who was born in India to a rabbinic family from Baghdad, and then he moved at a young age to Israel. He was Shiva in Chevrat Avat Shalom Yerushalayim. He's still with us. He was born in 1945, but his first volume of the Shuvo came out in 1994. His volumes coming. So this is from the first volume. He says, he says, when we had a base measures in London, we keep the minagim of our time back in Baghdad, back in and I can't prove to you my points any better than this, because if you don't want to hear it, you're not going to hear it, basically. He says, because they're not really looking for the truth. So people are attacking us, whatever the issue was, doesn't matter for us. People who want to attack us, they need to remember, that uh, it was baseless hatred. So that's a you know a hard term to, to figure out what it means. But baseless hatred destroyed our Mikdash. In our time, we're looking for a coming redemption. We're hoping for a soon redemption. So we have to learn about kinam. We have to learn to love people basically. And this is an exact reflection of what caused the destruction. We have to improve and, and, and enhance our unity and our love for each other so that we will be worthy of the redemption quickly. And I, I've seen a quote on the name of Cook. I don't have the quotes at hand so easily, so I don't have them with us. But Rav Cook is well known to have said similar things as well. And uh, I saw an article, you know, by a guy named Rav Doc, Rav Dr. Yaakov Neumann, who said that it's connected to Bruria. Remember that Bruria has this famous story with her husband that uh, he says, why does the rain appear on your side more than on my side? Just because when we have evil people, you pray they should be gotten rid of or go away. And I pray they should improve and they should learn to do better because uh, she, she had this reading of a verse that's not a correct reading, but it's a nice homiletical reading. She says, that the, which really means the sinners should be erased from the land because it's with a dagesh in the tet. It's sinners, the people who commit sins. But she says, I think it's the sins we want to get rid of, not the people. So I bring that up because it's a well-known idea. Right? It's a well-known idea. So it's Rav Kook, it's this uh, Rav Yaakov Moshe Hillel, it's Rav Yaakov Everybody knows this idea that the base of Israel was destroyed because of Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred, so it will be rebuilt through Abad Kinam, which is a fine idea. 
except that we spent time two episodes ago talking about the fact that the Gemara has lots and lots of options for why the Beit HaMikdash got destroyed, why Jerusalem got destroyed. And uh, if you're going to say that the way to get it back is by responding to those things, that's what we're saying about Havat Kinam. So we have to respond to all of those things. We have to go back to look at all of those things, right? So I think that's uh, an idea to begin considering. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm hoping to bring up here for us. So I want to read one more source with you, and then we'll put it all together, God willing. So the Yalkut Yosef, which is written by the current Sephardic chief rabbi of Israel, Rabbi Yitzchak Yosef. So he, on the issue of uh, celebrating weddings with the bride and the groom, he quotes a Sefer Lekach Tov of Midrash, which, which asks the question, when Yaakov meets Binyamin, so it says, I'm sorry, when Yosef sees Binyamin, I apologize. When Yosef sees Binyamin, it says, He fell on the neck of his brother Binyamin and he cried. And Binyamin cried on his neck. And Rashi explains that they were crying about the two Beit Mikdash. Yosef is crying about the two Beit Mikdash in Binyamin's land, in Binyamin's plot, that are going to be destroyed. And that's from a Gemara in Megillah, where the Gemara points out that which is a plural. So really, in Hebrew, it just happens to be that neck is a word that used the plural. But the Gemara said, how many necks did he have? So, uh, so, Rabbi Elazar Milamit, so the Gemara says, it teaches that Yosef was crying for the two Batei Mikdash in this plot of Binyamin, and they're going to be destroyed. And Binyamin was about Shiloh, right? When the Jews first got to Israel, they had a bunch of places where the Mishkan went. One was Shiloh, and it gets destroyed at the beginning of the book of Shmuel, right? So, and Binyamin is crying about that. So Rav Yitzchak Yosef says it's an odd thing, right? And it's such a time. They're seeing each other for the first time in many, many years. They're brothers, right? It's 22 years later, and they decide to cry about what's going to happen in the future. He says, so for example, you go to a wedding, you know, at the wedding we know that the bride and the groom are going to, cry, are going to die one day. You don't cry at the wedding, right? So as Shlomo Melech said in Kohelet, there's a time to cry and time to laugh, time to cry, time to laugh. So what are you doing? And also, says Yosef, they're already crying. Then why are they crying about the other guy? Cry about their own stuff. So he says, no, that they saw a tragedy, right? That they brought to the to their father their separation. Yosef's disappearance. The brothers saw that their disappearance it caused Yaakov so much angst. He spent all those years without Yosef mourning him and upset about him. So they decided that um, it was because of their sinachinam, because of their baseless hatred towards their brother Yosef. And now, so there's all discussions about why they hated Yosef. And this should be said in the context of discussions of these issues. And they had reason. They thought they had the right to hate Yosef. So that's one of the problems. My reaction always when people talk about sinachinam is I say, okay, fine. But there are versions of sinah of hatred that are appropriate, right? There are times when we're supposed to react to things that are negative and say, this is a negative thing. I'm reacting to it. And so it's not always true that it's sinah kina. Unfortunately for that view, the brothers thought that. The brothers said, oh, we have reasons to hate Yosef, whatever they were. It's not our issue now. Right? We asked. But the answer is they figured out they were wrong about that. 
So they realized that it was really Sinav Chinam, which is a danger. Whenever we're uh, looking down at somebody or hating somebody or thinking that they're evil, uh, if we're right, sometimes we're supposed to react as if we're right. But if we're wrong, it's really bad. So they realized that it was really bad. That idea that they're realizing they caused Yaakov such anguish for Sinav Chinam translates into this interaction. Because then they think about Sinav Chinam and they think about the Beit HaMikdash. And they think about the temples that are going to be destroyed because of Sinat Hinam. And, and then, as an expression, this is what he says, as an expression of Avat Hinam, the two brothers paid more attention to the tragedy of the future that's going to come to the brother. So this is their way, as it were, this is what his suggestion is. This is their way, as it were, of, uh, of hoping to contribute to preempting that baseless hatred that will destroy the Beta Mikdash. So that's where we are. Where we are is that I feel like that's the common line of thinking about where we are now in Jewish history. We're either in the beginnings of redemption or at some stage of redemption or we're not, right? And that the the, the strategy is Avat Kinam, because that's what Rav Cook said, because that's what Rav Yaakov Hillel said, that's what Rav Jitzchak Yosef says, because that's the way to do it, is Avat Kinam. And I... Just to close off, I'm a bit of a skeptic. And I'm a skeptic for reasons that I hope have been clear uh, as we've gone through this. I'm a skeptic because it feels to me like we're focusing on one issue within the destruction and turning away from lots and lots of other issues in the destruction. And I bring it up here because I hope it's constructive for us to rethink these issues. And the reason I think it's constructive is I wanted to use the term that I have come up with on my own, but I think it's a valuable term to think about in lots of Torah contexts. Here I talk about it in the context of, of, of consolation and redemption. If we're trying to find a way to consolation and redemption, so there's what I call apple pie comfort. Apple pie comfort is where we reach for the apple pie, right? So if I tell you, then what you're not doing is you're not being nice enough to other people. You're not loving people enough. I feel like everybody wants to hear that. Everybody's excited about that message because we all want to be nicer. And we like when people are nice to us. And there's good reasons to be nicer to people, right? I'm not against that. But it's it, it's it's like, let's imagine, God forbid, a tragedy happens to a community. And the community says, oh, we have to do tshuva. And what they say, and their answer always is, we're not doing enough of what we've always been dedicated to. So this is a community, let's say, that's dedicated to acting kindly towards others. They say, ah, oh, we have to be more kind towards others. Or this is a community that says, we have to focus on Torah study. They say, ah, oh, we have to do more Torah study. So it may or may not be true. I'm not saying it isn't true. But it's suspicious because it plays into what we already want to be doing. And I worry, and I don't know if that was true in Rav Cook's time. I don't know. But I worry that when we reach for those, we blind ourselves to others. So I want to just briefly recap the versions we saw back a couple of weeks ago. When we saw the Gemara's in Shabbat. Let's talk about the Lo Yushalayim Ella. Jerusalem was only destroyed four. Chilol Shabbos. Right? So there are people who say, yeah, we should work harder on Chilol Shabbos. So what would happen if we worked really hard on Chilol Shabbos? Because remember, we live in a world right now. If there are 15 million Jews in the world, how many of them try to keep Shabbat in any kind of meaningful halachic way. Is it a million? Is it two million? I don't think, so that depends a little bit on how you evaluate 
conservative Jews, I suppose, because there are some conservative Jews who have a version of Allah that they think in, and I'm not trying to be political and getting into those kinds of issues within the Jewish community. But I think it's fairly clear that it's not more than 2 million. So 2 million is not 15%, right? 2 million out of 50, if there are even 50 million. So maybe let's, I'm sorry, let's do it better. Let's say there are 12 million. So 2 million is a sixth. So let's even imagine that a sixth of world Jewry is trying to keep Shabbos. So thank God, you know, I, I don't speak for God. God has given us the versions of redemption we think we're seeing already, giving us the return to Israel, giving to this. But think about when we say that we're looking for the Gula, and that was one of the reasons that Jerusalem was destroyed. Pushing on, right? Let's say it was beat Then think about how many Jews say Shema every morning and evening. Ram Nuna, right? They beat Lubatino, Kotzel, Beit Rabban. Children weren't getting a good Jewish education. See, to me, that's one of those topics that I think Jewish education is one of those areas where many fine people and caring people are trying very, very hard to, 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 to do it well. And yet it's not working out as well as we would have liked at all. Uh, it's a story that I've told often because it, it hurts me. I, many years ago, I was at somewhere with a, a principal of a day school, of a elementary school. We were talking about Jewish education, and I was talking about misplaced priorities that I thought of. He says to me, like, what do you mean? I said, well, I think, and I have reasons for it for another time, but I think it's got to be true that every kid graduates elementary school having learned, I would have thought, hopefully, Chomish with Rashi, but at least all of Chomish, right? All of the five books of the Torah that a kid has seen all the psikim in the Torah, I have my reasons for it. And he didn't disagree with the reasons. He just said, it can't be done. So if it can't be done, right, if Jewish education is such a bad place, that's like a, to me, a screaming uh, need, a screaming emergency. And yet everybody talks about, oh, we need more Avachinam. I will say, too, that Avachinam leads people to think, well, you're not going to be stricter with school children now. There are certainly elements of our Jewish world, we call them more right-wing world or whatever, who put kids in school for long periods of time, which has its own challenges, because some kids really can't take that, but those kids end up knowing a lot, a lot more. So it depends on how you handle this whole thing. But these are questions, these are hard questions, I don't mean they're easy questions, but this is part of, I think, if we're going to do tshuva for the things that Jerusalem was destroyed for, we have to have this broader perspective of what Jerusalem was destroyed for and not reach for the one that we like. So too, Aula says, because they didn't have Bosha Panim Zemizet, so they weren't embarrassed in front of each other. Right, they they just acted badly in front of each other. That happens all the time. It happened to be I flew back to Israel recently on Shivas, on late on the day of Shivas. It was it was a nidche fast. It was a it was a postponed fast. And I don't know people's medical situation, but the numbers of people who were eating and drinking in public, like openly, was very surprising to me. So you know, boshu boshu is about the fact that if I'm doing the doing the wrong thing, at least I don't do it publicly. Whereas we today have on many, many issues, not the place for it, but many, many issues where people say, no, I'm not going to keep the Torah and I'm not going to hide it either. Now, that's a challenge. So I can work as hard as I want on Avat Kinam, but am I going to be really covering my bases and am I really doing what Hashem is looking for me to do? So, right? We didn't have hierarchies anymore. We didn't respect the people who deserve the greater respect. Are we working on that? Then Ravam Ramit said, in the name of, in the name of Hanina, that it was destroyed because we didn't remonstrate with each other. Now, I've heard many people today say, you're not going to remonstrate with each other. That's a problem. It causes hatred. So we have a direct contradiction, but I don't think it's true. I think it's supposed to be that is that we love each other 
And out of love, we try to find her. I just this week tried to remonstrate with somebody. I tried to do it as gently as I could. Completely, complete disaster. So I'm not saying it's easy to do, right? And then reviewed it. Said it got destroyed because they didn't cheat. Tell me, I mean, right? So I don't know. Our Torah scholars all over the Jewish community treated the proper way. I don't know. I do know. I remember once. I once heard a great Torah scholar who was already aged, so he was already widely respected, great Torah scholar, and he said about some issue, if I, he said, if I speak up on that, they'll stone me. So is that the respect for Torah scholars that we have? We're only willing to listen to them when they say the things we want to hear? I don't know. Right? And then trustworthy people, right? That's Rava says, We spoke about right, people who are trustworthy. In Torah, we said they were trustworthy, they would admit they didn't know, but in money, they weren't trustworthy. So do we focus today on leaders who are trustworthy and on, on people who are trustworthy? I don't know that we do. I feel like I know I know of many public figures who are clearly not trustworthy, and I'm not going to say who, but there's no, there's no pretense at being trustworthy. There's no pretense at keeping to their word. And people flock to follow them. So it's odd, right? Uh, it's odd to me. So that's... Uh, so that's a, those are are the thoughts that I come away right. I'm sorry. There's another one. There's another one about Mitzia that we saw that was destroyed because they were done by Torah, right? So the Gemara says, "What do you mean?" So that they didn't find a way to go lifnimi shuratadin. So that's another example of are we making sure to go lifnimi shuratadin, not just in like ritual law, but in all sorts of areas, right? So uh, and the last one that we saw was Amavda Aretz. We had said that it was Alazvam uh, Torati. So that one, right? So that one, maybe we're doing better about. But I leave you in my last the seconds, but just by pointing out that my goal here was to move from the time of, of Pesach, where we saw all the issues of the redemption and the and the Shtealechem and going from the Omer to Shtealechem, remembering God, keeping God in our lives, God in our minds, knowing the right ways to do Shiva. And here that we're being told, maybe the focus I'm suggesting, the focus of our Shiva might be, need to be broader and wider than we have until now. We can hope that if we look at other places than just this Avakinam places, we'll find our way to the fullest redemption without needing, God forbid, another king who with harsh decrees and without needing to wait very long, and we'll find our way to the Gulash Lema. And maybe that'll be some consolation for our long years in the exile as we approach yet another Tisha B'Av. So that's our course. I'm finished now. Thank you for joining me. If you've been joining me, if you have comments or issues or concerns or questions, I'd love to hear from you. My email address is gro, G is in Gidon, G-R-O-T-H-S-T at gmail.com. Thanks for being with us. And I hope we meet again soon. Be well.